Welcome to yet another fantastic episode of Sigma Sports Presents, Matt Stevens Unplugged. And this time, I'm speaking to none other than Ashton Lambie. What can I tell you about Ashton? Well, he's a former world individual pursuit champion and an established gravel racer as well. Polar opposite events, but he somehow makes it work. And we chat about how training for one extreme can influence the other. And in my opinion, he's got the best moustache in the cycling world, if not the whole world. Now, his wife is training to be an astronaut. Yes, indeed. Christina Burge is a former national track champion herself. And Ashton talks about how she's able to pick him up so he can go again. He's also the most patient man in the world. There were a lot of stop-start recording moments thanks to gremlins in the system. So let's see if you have the patience to listen to this podcast that had seven, yes, seven recording sessions over two days. So get comfy, folks. It's time for the wild ride from outer space and back to Derby via Lincoln, Nebraska. I'm talking about the Ashton Lambie episode. You know it's that time again. Podcast. Ashton Lambie was the 2021 Individual Pursuit World Champion and was the first person ever to ride four kilometres in under four minutes in that same discipline. He's been national track champion for the USA too. He recently married a fellow track racer, Christina Birch, who is currently training with NASA to become an astronaut. Ashton also enjoys long adventure rides and explains how he used one of these to help get over the disappointment of the American pursuit team not qualifying for the last Olympics. And we can't resist fantasizing about how we could one day complete an adventure together. Check it out. We are officially recording another edition of Matt Stevens Unplugged for Sigma Sports and my guest is Ashton Lambie. Ashton, thank you very much for joining me. Oh my gosh, thank you for having me. I'm, it's awesome to get to talk to you and be on the pod. Thanks, man. Um, before we kick things off, because I, I think we, we definitely got a lot to talk about, um, and I'm very excited to have you on, actually. But could you, for the benefit of our listeners, of which there are many, um, could you tell us where you are in the world, please? And also, would you mind setting the scene for us as well in describing what room you're in and what you can see immediately around you? Oh, um well i am at our house (laughs) in houston texas Uh, so me and recent wife uh we just got married christina birch um we just moved into our house that we bought in texas which is where we live now and um, yeah so we're in that stage we just moved in like a little over a week ago and we're in that stage where there's like there's boxes all over and you know stuff's kind of haphazard but um, I'm in our living room and our dining room table and, uh, all the cats just finished breakfast. So everyone's sleeping in various places around the room and, uh, I've got a cup of coffee. So this is a, it's a pretty good morning. Yeah. Well, um, I don't want to wake up the cats, um, but could you, um, tell me their names, please? Just so in case they're listening, they don't feel left out. Oh, nothing would wake these guys up. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we've we we just got a uh, a new little kitten who's like five months old whose name is Merlin, um, and then Paul and Tugi are the the old gentlemen. They are both thirteen and also very cute. Paul, yeah. Tugi, and Merlin. It sounds yeah. like a weird set of estate agents or or you know, realtors, isn't it? <laughs> so, um, or like in, yeah, I don't know. I quite like I quite like that. They're quite a disparate naming style although the Paul and Toogie I, I, I can sense maybe from a different era but Merlin 
Um, can you just explain where that name originated? Is it a magical cat or are, are you guys inspired by the fantasy realm? Where does that come from? Um, it's actually a little space nerdy. Uh, so my wife, Christina Birch, is actually an astronaut. So, And I'm a huge space nerd as well. And the Merlin engines are what they use on a lot of the SpaceX rockets. And um, Merlin, the cat, is also like very, very noisy. When we met her at the shelter, that was like the first thing. She came over and started like cuddling with us and just she's so small and purrs so loud. It is. <laughs> so we were like, oh, yeah, it kind of worked out that she's like. Uh, noisy noisy purrs like a rocket engine right okay so that, that, i'm glad i uh, asked that question because i obviously know that christina is um is an astronaut or is going to be hopefully yeah. uh, flying she's part of the flies isn't she group 23 and actually as yeah. we neatly segued in via the cat merlin to to, to your wife um, <laughs> normally i say normally it's this podcast isn't about your wife but Blimey, mate, you're married. You, you, she clearly is, has been a massive influence in your life. And yeah. I don't think, it, I think it'd be slightly remiss not to talk about having a wife as an astronaut. I really, because it's one of the things that, at one point when I was a kid, I wanted to be an astronaut. And then I then I kind of found out that's probably not going to be the case. And not that I wanted to ever <laughs> aim, for, not, not aim for the stars, but um, yeah. what's, um, how did how did you, firstly, how did you guys meet? And, and, uh, and, and, and tell me a little bit about, what it's like to, to live with with somebody uh, who's an astronaut. Yeah, I mean, so we met, we both raced track for a long time. Um, and so now she's retired doing the, the NASA astronaut gig full time. Um, and yeah, we, so we met with in track racing, like we both kind of liked, I think there's this sort of stigma when you travel for bike races that like, if you're not racing or training, you should be sitting in a hotel room with your legs up, you know, resting. And we both yeah. really like to explore. And so I never really did that. <laughs> um, you know, if we're in Belarus, it's like, oh, well, we'll go uh, go check out coffee shops or go to this cool grocery store across the street. So we, we got to adventuring and doing a lot of that stuff. Um, and then, you know, it actually happened that... I was at world championships in Roubaix 2021 um, and she got the call from NASA in between my rounds of the individual pursuit. So it was like, I got, she'd had a couple interviews. I know it was insane. Um, She'd had a couple interviews and then like I raced qualifiers and I rode back to the hotel to, you know, grab a sandwich and hang out for a couple hours before finals. And she called me like pretty emotional and was like, Hey, I got the job. Like we're going to move to Texas. And I was like, Oh wow. Okay, cool. And so it was, <laughs> it was insane to take that and go, you know, then race, uh, to win the rainbows, you know, like three hours later or whatever. It was, it was a really, really special day for both of us. That was actually uh, the reason we we decided to get married on October 22nd, which was the same day, our NASA Rainbows Day. So we wanted to keep that as like a really special day for us, which was pretty exciting to be able to do that. Yeah, that, that's pretty amazing. I mean, and um, there's when you think about the time frame between rounds, um, yeah, I guess a lot could happen in, 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 the, in the space of a couple <laughs> of hours, but something as significant as that, something as significant as that, as life-changing as that, and and 
also as, as enormous as that. Um, yeah. It, ha, ha, did that initially throw you off a little bit, Ashton, or, or were you like, "Wow, this is so cool"? I, I'm, I've, I've some, I'm, or did you manage to compartmentalize that bit of information? Because I'd have been, I don't know, I would have struggled to have maintained focus. Or did you manage to channel it and focus even more? How did you? What was your reaction psychologically, and then? physiologically to that news and then ultimately winning the rainbow clearly you you went okay but how did you feel i mean i feel like it was for me it was really inspiring to like see you know chris is someone like inspires me every day and is so amazing to like achieve this this dream and i was like man you know i i feel like i can go achieve my dream and like really bring it home and uh yeah, just like feeling really supportive her and um, that was that was huge. Yeah, absolutely. No, I think it was I mean, it was a net positive on yeah, the whole yeah, experience. Yeah, sorry, there's a bit of oh, a lag. Oh, but. No, 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 no. There is a slight lag, but again, we'll, we'll, I think we'll have yeah. to forgive the uh, the vast distance of which we're speaking of. It does the quality of the sounds very good. It sounds like you're next door, actually. But can, oh. can we just rewind a little bit? Um, if we can rewind, because looking at your your career. I mean, you're still a you're still a, a pretty young man, but you've managed to pack a lot in to your your 31 years. But obviously, the, the cycling success at the level that you've you know, level you've achieved is has come quite late for anybody. I mean, there are a few exceptions to the rule. Um, but um, can you just explain how you first got into cycling, and and then also I want to explore a little bit the dis- the, the the disparity between gravel and track they are they're, they're yeah. so far apart in our world aren't they but the, yeah. the fact that you've managed to sew them together and excel at both and clearly find joy in them both i want to explore that but before we get to that that really weird but it's so so cool dichotomy can you just explain how you first fell in love with the bike yeah um when i was 15 um and i i grew up in nebraska um and so there's like a, a pretty good cycling culture there. But when I was 15, I found my dad's um, road bike hanging on the wall. And, you know, like most kids, I'd grown up riding mountain bikes and flat bar bikes and was really intrigued by this bike with the funny handlebars. And uh, so started riding um, and then ended up riding my first century uh, 100-mile ride later that year. Um, and then I ran cross-country in high school a little bit and just had the worst shin splints ever. Like I'm just not really built to be a runner and I never really have been. Um, and so I ended up cycling a lot as cross training when I was injured. And I was like, wait, I, I like this part more than running. Like I can just do this instead of running. <laughs> and so, uh, yeah, yeah, I, I ended up, uh, switching to, you know, cycling as training pretty much all the time after that. Um, yeah, did a little bit of junior road racing, and then ended up getting more into ultra distance stuff. So, uh, what? So, what? Reading a, a little bit, you've done a couple of like journals, diaries. It's, it's quite clear that, um, and I won't ask the question because I've read it, but you are somebody who likes to take on big challenges. Otherwise, there's almost no point. So, yeah. At, at what point? Yeah, what led you first then? Was was it that sort of mindset that led you to doing an endurance stuff straight off the bat? It's like, well, okay, I just want to go for, I want to go long, I want to go far. Um, so just explain that a little bit because it's off the bat, all I wanted to do was have fun on a bike. I, I didn't really necessarily want to ride far and long. I wanted to just race my mates. So 
my objectives were just to have fun, but quite clearly you just wanted to challenge yourself. Is, am I right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, when I first started, you know, I didn't, I didn't know anything. And so the, you know, just looking around at like flyers at the local bike shop, it was like, okay, the longest ride I can do is a hundred miles. And that seems like a respectable distance, you know, a hundred miles is a long ways. Um, and so yep. that was where that started. And then like the next thing I kind of found, um, was randoneering. I think you guys call it Audax over there or brevets. Yeah, that's right. It's a ran, ran all of those, but I think randonne it, it's sportifs now, but, but Audax yeah. and randonnees means there's like check stations where you have like your card stamps and stuff. So it's quite, it's quite comes from France basically, but yes, yep. I know exactly what you mean. So that was what I did for several years in college. Uh, and that was the same thing. It was like, oh, okay, the longest event you can do is a 1,200-kilometer ride. Well, I want to do that one. That's what I'm going to try and do. Okay. And so it's like it's this okay. whole process of like qualifying to do it, finding the race, like uh, training for it, all this stuff. And, and yeah, I mean, I managed to do that when I was like 22, I think. And I guess was that at a time – so when you were 22, so that's nine, nine years ago, it was before gravel was really even a thing, wasn't it? This is just you going out on a on a road bike, I guess, or a touring bike, whatever we, we'd call them back then. I mean, the sport's developed in, enormously over the last few years, but gravel then wasn't really a thing. It was just you going out and exploring. Yeah, correct. I was on a steel road bike. Um, and yeah, I mean, there, were, there weren't really like, I mean, I think Unbound – it was dirty cans at the time, but I think it had maybe just started. So, I mean, it was pretty, pretty limited and gravel was not near what it is. And, um, when did you realize that, um, at what point did you think, did you ever think that you wanted to do that professionally at all? Or were you just enjoying it? What were you doing at that particular time, um, professionally to earn a living? So where, where did the cycling thing sit within what you were doing at that particular time? And when did it start to move to the forefront of pretty much everything you do? Yeah, it started to pick up. Um, I lived in Lawrence, Kansas for a few years um, and worked at uh, a pretty big bike shop down there called Sunfike Shop. And that was where I started having more success with gravel races. Like there were, I mean, I feel like Kansas especially is sort of the mecca of, of gravel racing. I mean, there's big races there's small local races like every weekend every other weekend within you know a two or a three hour drive which is quite close in the u.s i know that's very far away in the uk um but yeah it was uh i was getting success there and then had people or like businesses approach me and be like hey you're you're pretty good at this like what do you what do you need to what do you need to do even better and i was like wow that's weird i've never even thought about this like um, you know, that was the first time I'd kind of had my eyes open to like how sponsorship works of like, oh, well, a business thinks you're doing great. They want to be a part of that success. So what do you need to do better? Um, and so that was, that was a big step. And then, um, when I found the grass velodrome while I was in Kansas, uh, I'd heard about it from the bike shop and then, um, won my first national championship on the track in 2017. And so another huge, huge success and huge shift. 
Hello, it's Lynx Matt here, the version of me that fills you in on what you're listening to. Now I need to tell you that at this point in our recording, the software basically erupted like a volcano spewing lava of zeros and ones, and we became frozen in time like those poor villagers in Pompeii. Uh, only nowhere near as bad as that, of course. Now, when we got back online, the audio quality was too bad to record, so we rescheduled the rest of our chat for later in the week. Okay, resume podcast. Wow, uh, flipping heck, we are off. Um, we are. This is the second attempt at launch <laughs> for the Ashton Lambie podcast. Uh, we did try a couple of days ago, so we're going to start again, uh, slightly afresh. Ashton, thanks very much for coming on the podcast, mate. Yeah, thanks. I'm, I'm hopeful that we uh, got the tech <laughs> issues figured out as much as I love chatting with you guys. Yes. Uh, Could make this an every other day thing. Indeed. I mean, we could do. I mean, and then we could just maybe just sew snippets together, but we never, ever get to the end. It's just a, <laughs> it's just a perpetual prologue um, or something like that, mate. Now, yeah. obviously, yeah, we had an abortive attempt at a podcast the other day. So I am going to ask you to, to repeat several things. So please don't roll your eyes. <laughs> so well, let, let's kick things off. Not at all. Thank you, man. Thank you very much. You're, you're a very polite guy. Very polite guy. Um, so I know what you've had for breakfast because that was part of our warm up. Um, but can you just describe what you had for breakfast for us? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was, uh, we uh, usually fry up like a little bit of lunch meat and then, or lunch meat, bacon, some veggies, um, and then just throw some eggs and egg whites on top of there. And then we on bread or tortillas sometimes. Okay. So are you quite a savory breakfast kind of guy then? Because that sounds like, if that's what you usually do, that's quite savory. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm very like a very eggs for breakfast guy. Like I always, I, I have to have eggs for breakfast. It doesn't feel like a full breakfast if I just have like a bowl of oatmeal or something like that. Okay. Now there's a, a commentator. I, w- I won't name him, but there's a commentator that I work with quite a bit. And, um, we go all over the, we go all over the world. Well, primarily not all over the world, all over Italy, primarily together for the certain races. And he gets in a bit of a mood if he doesn't have scrambled eggs, are you that kind of guy? So he actually visibly, you can feel this heat emanating off him if he doesn't get his scrambled eggs. Uh, (laughs) And then for the rest of the day, he's in a little bit of a mood. So Ashton, my question to you, do you just like eggs or do you need eggs? I would say I'm like halfway between. Like, I I don't know that I would let it ruin my day, but I would, I would go to some like, like I would, if I knew I was out of eggs and, uh, you know, it was, oh, we got a big ride. I got a big ride tomorrow. It's like, oh, okay, well, you know, it's it's eight o'clock and I'm going to go to the grocery store to get some eggs. Okay. That's fair. That's fair enough. I'm the same with coffee. I, I can't really start the day without a coffee. I think a lot of, I think not just a lot of cyclists, but a lot of people are, are exactly the same, but I will. Yeah. If there's no coffee in the house, that is a problem. That is a big, big problem. And I've fallen foul of that a few times, but are you, a co- I guess you, you look to oh, be, yeah. you're a coffee guy. You're a coffee guy. Yeah, I would say coffee is higher on the urgency list than eggs. Okay, okay, and um, and your wife, Christine, by, by a lot, by a long yeah. way. I, yeah, I think I could survive a lot as I'm not riding anywhere near as much as I used to. Um, quite often, all I have for the first part of the day is a coffee, so I'm essentially going lean. It's like fasted living, I call it. Um, but it does get men. But oat milk, I think, I'm, I'm into oat milk, so I have a couple of oat milk coffees, and I don't know what the calorific content of oat milk is, but it feels pretty punchy. It's pretty, you know, and oats are one of my favourite things. So are you an oat milk type of guy? Are you, are you dairy? I'm a pretty normal milk kind of guy. Yeah, I would say overall my diet is like pretty, pretty 
basic, pretty meat and potatoes kind of. Uh, and so, yeah, definitely like plain whole milk kind of guy. Okay. I did just get some creamer. I'm, I'm not normally a creamer guy, but, uh, I don't know if you know, I'm sure you do, but I'm like a huge fan of pumpkin spice. Um, and so I got some pumpkin spice creamer and that has been a real treat. That, I, um, I, is it, oh, is it coffee mate? Well, so creamer is, I think it's just like, like sugary, like heavy, heavy cream or heavy half and half, um, that you put in coffee. So it's just like a little, it's just a little extra flavor and dairy in the coffee. I know what you mean. We, but you wouldn't drink a cup. No, of it. that would be it. Would be way too much. I mean, we we recently, myself and my wife, we, yeah, <laughs> went to we're in we're in LA and in our in our motel there was coffee, there was creamer rather than milk, and there were some different flavors there. And Holly loves it, but I'm not a big fan actually. It's kind of, but Holly does import American coffee, mate, because which is like the powdered version of the creamer, um, and she imports that into the UK in bulk. Because she absolutely, <laughs> she absolutely oh, wow. loves it. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Huh. Yeah. So um, that 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 that's a thing. Um, yeah. I I tell you what. Um, I think we should talk. I think we should sort of move the conversation just away from creamers. And oh, actually, there was one last food based question. Can you <laughs> can you describe? Because my a lot of people listening will think be thinking Ashton lunch meat. So luncheon meat um, conjures up quite a lot of imagery for me, especially from when I was at school. So can you describe what luncheon meat is? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's basically like we had ham this morning and, you know, it looks like if someone took a slice of round ham and or like a piece of round ham and uh, just cut it up, you know, into like fairly thin slices. So... Ashton, we've talked about lunch meat. We've, we've talked about the importance of coffee. Uh, we've talked about my preference for oat milk. Where uh-huh. are you going to be riding your bike today? Um, man, today I have got three hours and I was planning on the winds out of the southeast. And so I was planning on uh, riding around there. Um, Christina has a flight today. So if I time it right, I might be able to see her take off, which would be kind of fun. Because um, the airfield that she takes off from is south like halfway between where we live in johnson space center which is southeast houston i think it's worth mentioning here isn't it really i mean we we did touch on it um, a lot of people know that your wife christina is part of group 23 which weirdly is actually 12 people isn't it she's part of the astronaut training program um so we, i think we need to put that into a little bit of a <laughs> little bit of context so um yeah. So, what what sort of flight will she be doing today then? Um, I'm not exactly sure what they what all she's covering. Um, I know just like practicing uh, approaches and navs. So she flies. Um, she's working on backseat piloting of a T thirty eight, which is a the specific type of trainer jet. It's a twin engine supersonic jet that they use to train. NASA astronauts um, for the program just to practice like communication, navigation, um, understanding complex systems, and then like handling high stress situations while you're already like what they would call task saturated, where there's things that you need to do that all happen very quickly because the jets fly very quickly. So yeah, that's that's what she's uh, working on today. That's amazing. Yeah, it's a Lynx Matt here again. At this point, our recording was getting ridiculous, and here's why. Right, just pause again. Sorry about this.
this, my, during all that shenanigans, my microphone's turned off. Jesus wept. Sorry about this, mate. So we'll pick up on the back. <laughs> Sorry, guys. This is just absolutely unbelievable. Pretty much everything that could have gone wrong did. But we got straight back at it. Okay, resume the podcast again. Okay, we are recording again. Um, uh, really, really sorry about this, everybody. You might have just noticed a distinct shift in the, the audio quality or the oral quality of the sound that's currently being deposited into your ears because uh, my microphone switched off. I've had to switch it on again. This is the third time we've already started this podcast. And weirdly, we have just been having a discussion about Ashton's wife, Christina, who is an astronaut. And I, I think there's a lovely paradox, isn't there? A, a, um, our combined inability to use tech and your wife is training to be an astronaut. I really love that, mate. <laughs> it's a good juxtaposition. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I guess a lot of us as kids wanted to do something like that, but only in our, you know, not it, there was no realism. It's just like a, something that was completely and utterly alien. But to uh, to have that connection um, and to see your wife doing doing something as like amazing as that. And again, just put it into perspective, there were 12,000 applicants for this particular post and 12 people have got the role. I mean, um, who knows what the next yeah. few years are going to hold it, but it must be super, super exciting. Um, but so in terms of yourself, Ashton, I mean, you are an enormously in- interesting proposition, I think it's fair to say, if you don't mind um, <laughs> saying. Bit, I mean, just in terms of your of your your personality, I, I've, I've been reading over the last uh, week or so, a couple of days, um, some of your journals and diaries that you've written. I think it's Velo News. You're a great writer, mate. And we'll touch on that in, oh, in a Oh, thanks. Bit, yeah. You, no, no, no. It, it, I, I was really, sometimes when I'm researching, I have the ability to skim read stuff just to get the information in there. I think we can all do that to a degree. It's, I think it's quite a modern skill is, is, a, is, is getting information, but not actually getting underneath the skin of it. But with yourself, mm-hmm. I, I was drawn, and I actually took quite a long time to read it because it was it was so granular and and real. But to extend that out to cycling. When you look at what you've achieved, you're only you're still only a young man. You're only 31 years of age. But what you've achieved in the sport, I know that the quickest, the first ever person under four minutes. We know about that. Multiple um, national champion, world pursuit champion, and um, but also you're a big endurance rider as well. And elements of the sport that are, you could argue, the furthest away on each side of the cycling spectrum. And so can you talk a little bit about your your pursuit for riding for a long time steadily and riding for a very short amount of time intensely? Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, because that, that's just for me is fascinating. And, and I, I'm trying to think, obviously these days there are many riders that succeed in this multidiscipline area, but none, but you're, I think you're one of the most extreme examples. So can you tell me, as best as you can, in a nutshell, how that began, that desire for going quickly and also going steadily, but for a long time. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think they're they're a little, I, you're right, they're, they are on very opposite ends of like the duration spectrum, but I do think my sort of singular focus of like finding the biggest goal possible and then going for that is sort of what ties those two aspects together where it's like, um, when I got, when I first got into cycling, uh, you know, I'd find, I found my dad's old road bike and the longest ride I could find at the time was like a hundred mile, like a century. And so I did that when I was 15. And then as I got into ultra distance, it was, you know, I did like the, the Audax Brevet thing, um, which you guys I think yeah. have over there. Yeah. We do. Um, yeah. 
And so the longest event I could do there was a 1,200-kilometer ride. And so it was like, okay, well, I'm going to do that. That's the biggest thing I can do. Um, and then I raced gravel for a few years when I was living in Kansas. And that was a little more nebulous as far as like, what's the biggest race? What's the biggest success? Um, but still had a lot of success there. Um, and definitely, you know, that's super hard riding and really good training. And um, yeah, then ended up on the track and really kind of honed in on that as with the goal of the Olympics being the biggest, most difficult thing you could do there, but sort of shifting to the goals I, I set and achieved in the individual pursuit. So in terms of the physiology required, I mean, I'm looking down at your, at your results. Let, let's pick 2019 for an example. You won Unbound, um, one of the most iconic gravel uh, rides out there, which is long. What, what we're talking, six hours or something, maybe a little bit more? What was the dis- How long are you in the saddle on um, the front on, on Bound for? That was... It's long though, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it is long. Um, that one, I did the 100 miles. So that was uh, the first year they did the the hundred mile distance as a race. Um, and I finished in just over five hours, I think. Okay. Okay. And then you were, um, I think it's Pan American champion uh, in the same year uh, as well in, in the pursuit and second in the team pursuit. But how did you cope with a very different physiological demands? Did you find they complemented each other, for example, or did, or did, or was there a distinct period between events, or did you find that you could interchange quite quickly? And if so, who who helped you with that? Who helped guide you from a coaching perspective? Because physiologically, the demands are completely different, aren't they? Yeah. Um, at that point, I was working with the coach I probably worked with the longest um, for cycling is Ben Sharp. Um, yeah, I feel like he's fairly well known in the cycling community and obviously yeah. an incredible coach. Um, and so th- I, I was working with him at the time and I mean, yeah, you're right. Like the demands are different, but I, and there, there was a distinct period of time in between Pan Ams and Unbound. I mean, Unbound was in June and I think Pan Ams were probably August or September. Um, okay. But yeah, I mean, so there's a there's a long period of time. I feel like the ultra distance and having just that huge aerobic base that I had for a while, um, yeah, really allows you to do more intensity and like spend time at that neuromuscular anaerobic power and not have it. Like I think you're a lot, you're able to do more of that work, and then also like your body just absorbs it and adapts a lot more quickly. Um, and yeah. it's less fatiguing. Like you can just, you know, I could, I was able to back up, you know, double days on the track pretty consistently and not just totally get burned out. So I, I do think they help each other. Yeah. And, and I, I guess some, the, the psychological side of it as well, having been able to not just spend all your time on the track focusing on one thing I, I would imagine again and getting to know you slightly over the last few <laughs> over the last couple of days I, I would imagine <laughs> that still having the opportunity to go and ride when you want um, gives you an escape as well so there's a lovely contrast a psychological contrast which uh, depending on our you know our individual personality traits some people are able to focus on one thing for a long period of time whereas other, others need a break did you find that actually doing other disciplines within focusing on one discipline that actually helped you relax a little bit? Uh, so you're more focused when you went back? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the gravel and sort of just, 
I would say adventure cycling of like going out for a ride and trying to experience new things and like explore places. Um, that's always been one of the main reasons I love cycling is to be able to yeah. experience places at a really cool speed. And so sometimes that's a race, sometimes that's a training ride, and sometimes that's just a ride for fun. But having that outlet, you know, versus like, okay, I'm going to ride around this tiny circle for for four minutes or, you know, you spend all day at the track and it's like, you still want to go explore stuff afterwards. And so having, having that as an opportunity was, yeah, I think that was huge for me. And um, at what point then amongst all this, obviously your first British, sorry, first British, sorry, first American uh, individual pursuit championship win was in 2017. And obviously you broke the, you broke the world record a few years later first man under four minutes at what point Ashton did you think do you know what I think I can I can do this was there did somebody else look at your numbers and say do you know what this is something you should try or did you quite quickly realize um and understanding your physiology and obviously you've got um a real um desire to to understand um the scientific side of our sport as well and and I, I don't want to use the mg word but at the it's, I think it's an exciting era that we're in now, the understanding of speed, aerodynamics, and everything else that's thrown into it. I know you have an interest in that, but at what point did you think, right, okay, I'm going to try and break the four-minute barrier? Man, I, I mean, yeah, the four-minute barrier was a really specific one. I feel like that sort of became a possibility a, in Berlin, which I think was 2020, um, the Berlin yep. World Championships. I think I rode because Ghana had just gotten an, another world record. And I think I rode a new sea level PB by like several seconds. Um, and so that was kind okay. of, and that was also post finding out that I wasn't going to the Olympics for team pursuit. Um, our team didn't make the selection or didn't make the cut. And so that was the sure. first time I'd really focused just on individual pursuit for like a few months. And so, it was like this new training stimulus of just individual pursuit, um, a sea level PB by like quite a bit. And I was like, oh, there's still room to move here. Like, I think I could really, really bring this time down. Yeah. And, and how did you go about that? Because, um, the, like the world hour record is, is another great example. And, and obviously there's, there's the human side of it. There's also the, Let's take Ganna's ride, for example. You know, Philip Ganna had to do that himself. But but when you look at the, the equipment side of it, the bike, the clothing, um, and then the team and the work behind it. I mean, this isn't... What do you think was the biggest component part that, that, that helped you break it? Do you think it was your own physiology? Or do you think it was the... Um, the advancements in, in understanding aerodynamics, the importance of aerodynamics and, and efficiency. What do you think it was? I think it was like the training and the support I had going down there. Um, like I had a really good training environment leading up to it um, and good, like good quality training um, that was sort of, I feel like that was, that was a huge one. Um, I was doing a program that I uh, was working with a strength coach at the time, Chris Della Sega, that I had worked with for a long time. Okay. And we kind of developed this, we called it middle distance running training. Um, 
Okay. And he basically looked at the physiological demands and was like, look, you're basically running a mile. Um, and mile runners don't go do marathons, you know, three days a week. Like you don't yeah. need to be doing four hour rides during the week. And so we came up with, I mean, he, he designed basically a program that was a lot of double days. Um, and all of it was on the turbo. So I was living with Christina in Montana at the time and we were on her family's ranch. Um, and I mean, between her and the rest of her family, we kind of built like this, this perfect training environment where we had a gym up there, we had the turbo. Um, it was a lot of time outside and like a really low stress, like supportive environment for the training. And so, I mean, I think that yeah. was huge too, because the training was hard. I mean, yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, it was hard. So I think all of those factors were huge. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's really, really interesting. I mean, we just, again, just to bring myself into the equation, just based on what you're saying about training on the turbo 20, 25 years ago, and I was racing at a pretty decent level. Um, just before I was British champion, I, I, I was, I was actually working full time, but I, I worked out that and this is before power meters and stuff, or before power meters were portable, you know. You go to a lab and mm. use one, but nobody used them out on the road at that point, unless you, you know, there's like a two kilogram weight penalty and they cost about $4,000. But but <laughs> d- uh, double turbo days were, 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 I think, one of the things I realized that like very, very high intensity workload, double days with lots of rest in between, that was what, um, it wasn't just long, long rides. Obviously you've built over that, you've got that muscle memory from years of riding, but I found the big difference for me from a performance perspective was ridiculously high intensive sessions that I just did not want to do, but convinced myself um, to do them. I used to get nervous before each session, but the sheer yeah. br- brutality of those sessions, then making sure that the rest of my time I was relaxed, having fun, a nice family environment, mate, it made so much difference. Yeah. Yeah, it really does. Like we, I mean, I, I was the same way. I would like wake up and, you know, kind of dread some of those sessions that were just super hard. Um, but then like being able to sort of unplug and, and tune out from that and be like, oh, OK, we're going to go drive up on the ranch today. Or like we were uh, working on rebuilding a trailer like a I think you guys would call it a caravan. Um, yeah. Yeah. So that was a, a big project and like working on that with Chris and. Um, you know, helping our dad around the ranch with stuff like, man, that was so much fun and such a nice, like change of pace from the, you know, the grind sessions of the turbo and the gym. I think that's what everybody I think is searching for, whether you're an elite athlete or whether you're just trying to get through life, pay the bills, look after your kids, whatever is balance. And I think when you, the, the, the few times that you, if you can engineer you know, you have a purpose in mind and you can, because life's hard, isn't it? Life's, life's very, very, very rarely is life linear. It's generally lows or highs, you know, and, and little bits in between. But if you can have a singular goal, engineer as best you can an environment um, to gain success, and you, you have those moments where you can get that balance right. Once you hit that balance, that's where the success lies, I think. And I, I think you can extend that into anything in life, really, mate, can't you? Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. No, it's um, so. Tell us about the day. It's actually no, but briefly, tell us about some of the sessions that you used to fear. Um, okay, without maybe giving us all the secret sauce, but give us an example of a session that you used to 
to, to go to and think this is just going to be hell. Um, it, was there one session that was uh, that you used to like or not like that Ben set you that you were like, oh my god, I've got to do this, and you used to be feel physically sick because I, I I had some sessions like that. Man, I feel like the one that I always remember from Ben because uh, me me and Chris were both coached by Ben for several years, and we had he he would prescribe us one workout called the Ben Special that we we called the Ben Special. <laughs> okay. uh, I think he calls right. it now. Um, but it was in, in a, a varying length. Um, but whatever it was, you would finish the last two hours of the ride would be a two by 20 threshold with 10 minutes in between. So that was our whatever. And then the last hour was, was an hour of over geared tempo. Ooh, that's... And so that could be anywhere between two to five hours. So if you could get through a Ben special, it was like, you're you're fit like that if if the workout went well it was good and if you were feeling pretty pretty trash it was like just man that one hour of tempo to finish it out is just absolutely brutal that's i i've I've never i've because i used to do overgeared work but i used to mix it with really high cadence stuff and we're getting quite geeky now and deep into training but i find it fascinating but isn't it weird how physiologically you can ride at the same heart rate. If you're riding at 90, 100 RPM tempo, it's sustainable. But when you drop it down to 50 RPM, Jesus, it, it's a different... So you might actually be kicking out, you know, it might be the same heart rate, but your, your, the fatigue on your muscles is insane, isn't it? It's, a, it's really, really it's quite different. counterintuitive, but it's... it's yeah. <laughs> yeah, I feel like I've, I've always loved low cadence work. Um, I generally have a little bit lower cadence. Like I, if I'm out on an endurance ride, I just naturally settle into about 85. Like that, I can ride okay. at 85 RPMs all day. Yeah, it's um, I think who's it's Rowan Dennis, isn't it? Who um is famously uses lower cadence work because he he can generate. Well, again, we're going right down the science route here, but he can gen. He's found over the t- over years that he can generate far more power at a lower heart rate. But he said I've just got to work on it. So it's like strength, it's like doing weights. Uh, but he will do like 60 RPM on a, on a climb, but can just hold it. Uh, and he said, that's what I train my body to do. And, and the human body is so remarkably adaptable. It's it's just incredible, yeah. especially when you start to vary your training. Um, and actually, what's one of the biggest things you've learned then through this? I know you've got some big goals ahead. I know we can't talk about all of those, but hopefully next year you'll be able to talk about some of those. I, I, yeah. look, I look forward to that. But what, what, what do you, what's the biggest sort of learning over the last few years, looking at what you've achieved, um, Ashton, that you've learned f- about about your own physiology, let's say. I feel like gym work in general um, is something that's been pretty uh, pretty formative for, for my training overall and my physiology. Um, I think there's a lot of different ways to get to a four-minute, uh, like even a sub-405 pursuit. And I think you look at like, you look at Ghana and you look at, uh, you know, Jonathan Milan and, uh, or Ermino and some of those other guys that have ridden fast pursuits and they're all, they're all world tour. And I think that's just a, a different pathway to get there. But for me, um, getting to the gym and having, <clears throat> having that, like, uh, you know, being able to push bigger gears, being able to start faster and then being injury free. Like I learned so much working yeah. with Chris Delasega and uh, I feel like applying a lot of those principles to other training has been massive too. Right. So just 
let's skip forward again to to the day August August the eighteenth. Ultimately, you you did it three fifty nine ninety three. Um, going into it, I know you would already had a failed attempt, hadn't you? Just was it the day before or two days yeah. previously? Um, it was the day before. So coming off the, yeah. the the day before. So how would you manage to gather yourself? Okay, what went wrong on on the, the day before? Do you do you think? Obviously, it, you didn't go as quick as you needed to. But could you identify something you didn't quite get right? Uh, yeah. Well, that, that's part of uh, what I was saying. Like with the support down there. Um, yeah. So Chris was down there, and she actually flew down the Sunday before the attempt with a brand new frame from Argon. Um, okay. So that was. Uh, a little bit of it, um, you know, just the, uh, it was a little hectic to try and get that frame built up on Monday, get one ride in and then do the attempt on Tuesday. But having her, having her down there, um, and being able to talk, you know, talk me out of that hole after I didn't get the, the time I wanted on Tuesday was absolutely massive. You know, she was, I, I was, I was shelled. Um, I mean, I was. I went out too hot, which is something I normally do. And I think is probably the most taxing way to ride a pursuit where you're just riding the entire last, you know, five laps. Your body is totally full of lactate. Right. And it's just like excruciating. Um, (laughs) And so having her there to be able to like talk to me and be like, all right, hey, you didn't get it. You still got tomorrow. Like, let's get out of here. Let's get you some food. Let's start your recovery like you're, you're going to be fine. We'll make it happen. Um, and then, yeah, we, you know, I, I talked with her a lot that night and we came up with some actionable items to change and really focus on the next day. And so like we went, we did the warm up and the timing of the attempt a little bit differently. Um, I did a couple more starts out of the gate. Um, and we changed, we made some changes to the gate. And then just the mindset of the the pacing strategy and that that sort of um, headspace to take into there, we changed a little bit too. So I think having her there to recognize all those things and like be sort of an objective third party was I, I there's no way I would have been able to back it up without her there. Do you do you think Ashing? And this is um, did you ride for yourself or did you ride for your wife or did or did you just ride because? Again, I've used when I've been training really, really hard and, and training to a point where I'm despairing at what I'm doing to myself. I have to find a reason for it. And a lot of the time, and back in the day, it was it was my, my son. I just, just have yeah. an image. I used to have a photograph of my son on, on the stem. Um, and and I, used to, I could transport myself to places that I couldn't transport myself unless I played out some kind of, kind of strange scenarios in my head. Um, how, how did you focus? Because... I mean, you're talking about the excruciating pain. That cycling is a beautiful sport, but it is it is ridiculously painful, isn't it? Sometimes the pain is short. Sometimes it goes yeah. up for ages. But oh my how God. do you? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, you're the man that would know a hell of a lot about that. But where was your? Where did you take yourself to block out that pain? How did you? How did you cope with it? What inspired you to? Or who did you ride? Who are you riding for? It's a very nebulous question here, but I think you know what I mean. Yeah. Um- I mean, I do think uh, like when I'm riding, um, the the headspace overall is a lot quieter, and it's just like yeah. having having her there to be able to like 
you know, hearing hearing her voice during the attempt and being like, oh, okay, this is what we talked about. Like, just focus on the black line. Um, just focus on this pacing, focus on these splits. Um, and just like knowing that I can go that deep, but still have her there to like help me afterwards was incredible. Like I, you know, you got to have that, that support structure to really, really push yourself that far. And someone who also like knows what it's like to go that hard. Um, yeah. 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 <laughs> Fantastic stuff, mate. Fantastic. And in the end, as I say, you broke the record. Can you just remind us of the gear for anybody listening in? Uh, who's maybe you know listening to about the details of this for the first time what huge gear were you using gosh i got a double i think i got a double check uh, <laughs> it was a 50 i want to say it was a 55 15 okay it was uh a one or no 60 yeah, 6415 6415 oh 64 yeah so that's going to be quite low otherwise a 115 inch okay that's that's yeah and then you just and i think what people have got to realize here you went under four minutes so 60 k's an hour just just a smidge over 60 k's an hour obviously but you had to get the bike up to speed <laughs> so this is this yeah. isn't a flying i mean most people couldn't do couldn't do a flying four minutes but you had to get the bike up to speed so disproportionately you were riding once you got the bike up to speed you you had to ride over 60 k's an hour to break the record didn't you yeah, so the goal split, um, and when I say split, I mean, when you're on the track, you don't have a computer or anything. There's basically one person, uh, usually past the start finish line in what we would call turn one, um, yelling a split, yelling how fast you rode the previous lap. So you get one data point per lap and that's it. Um, and so there was a, yeah, a coach that was down there that I've, He's, you know, I've worked with him a couple times at the the velodrome in Colorado Springs, Brian Abers, um, and I just asked him to call it, and um, yeah, so we were shooting for a fourteen six. Uh, that so that's one lap every fourteen point six seconds. Wow, which is uh, I've got my little calculator out here. That is sixty one point seven k's an hour. <laughs> There you go. So that's the speed you had. I mean, it's absolutely, I mean, it, it is insane. Actually, I know you've got some ambitions in the future, but do, and I'm sure people have asked you this before, uh, before we move on to part two of the podcast, whether we're going to change tempo completely. But Ashton, do you think at some point in the future you'd, you would be capable of doing an hour record? Or do you think, no, or are you, are you intrigued by it? Because looking at how fast you can ride, how long you can ride, you're, you'd imagine there's the capacity there. So what are your thoughts on the hour record? Yeah, I, I don't have any ambitions to go for the hour record, honestly. Um, okay. It's, it's something that's interesting, but uh, I've got a lot of other stuff I want to do more than the hour record. Okay, that's absolutely fine. And I tell you what, do you, would you like to now do a quiz about Lincoln in Nebraska? Oh, yeah, that sounds awesome. I love I love talking about Nebraska. Okay, well, let's do it. It's time, Ashton Lambie, for the Hometown <laughs> Quiz. Yo, yo. What's up? You all ready? Uh-uh. Let's do it. Uh-uh. Turn off your phone. That's right. Get your thinking cap on. Yeah, yeah. It's time. What time? Time for the Lincoln, Nebraska Quiz. Wow, that was cool. 
Thanks, man. Actually, do you know what? That's really nice, actually, because um, I, I normally have to prompt our guests to congratulate Niall on the jingle. Um, <laughs> but um, that's a good one. So, but no, that's just fantastic. saying that's cool yeah. off the bat. There you go. So I know now that he'll be sitting back in his chair with his headphones on looking very, very smug. Um, but he's a lovely man. He's a lovely man. So, uh, Ashton, um, we do this every quiz. Um, it's called the Hometown Quiz. You uh, were born and raised, I believe, in Lincoln in Nebraska. Um, so what I have for you, I've done a little bit of research, well, more than a little bit of research. It's spent a good couple of hours combing, um, well, primarily Wikipedia, <laughs> for some facts about Lincoln, Nebraska. There's four questions, and it is in a multiple-choice format. So uh, if you don't know the answer, what we, we can do is go into a Who Wants to Be a Millionaire format um, and actually reduce it to two. Uh, so you've got a couple of lifelines if you want, um, but I think an intelligent man like yourself should breeze through this, but we shall see. So are you comfortable and are you ready? I am so ready. This sounds awesome. I am very excited. Okay, Matt. Right. Well, so I think we'll start off with a, with a, with a steady one. Um, so question number one um, in the Lincoln, Nebraska quiz is this. Lincoln was originally founded in 1856 as the village of what? Was it A, the village of Manchester, B, the village of Lancaster, C, the village of Warrington, or D, the village of Kendall? Man, I, I feel like it's got to be Lancaster because that's still the county. Yeah, I would say Lancaster. That's correct. Well done, mate. Oh, Good stuff. So, oh, yeah, because there was a little bit of... You were like, yeah, I've got this, but is it right? There was a slight hesitation, uh, but well done. Um, and sometimes you've got, you've got to go with your gut, haven't you? Yeah, well, and that was, uh, so yeah, I lived in Lancaster County, but one of the projects I did during COVID was to ride all the gravel roads in the county. So I was like, really pretty sure it had to be that, but I didn't have any reason for anything else. So yeah. There we go. So you, so you rode Lancaster every single is. gravel road in like how many how many miles was that? There's 1463 miles of gravel roads in Lancaster County. <laughs> I love the way that you didn't have to go and look that up. <laughs> I don't know why I remember that. Yeah. Yeah, wow. Was okay, was that in one hit or was that just a project over a month or a couple of months? It was a project over a couple of months. Like I had kind of um you know I was I was living in a farmhouse at the east edge of the county at the time and I had ridden most of them and then I kind of like started looking at the Strava heat map and I was like oh yeah I think I could hit all of these and then just gradually you know I'd I'd like go out and do a couple like zigzags and fill because the entire county is on a grid it's not like UK roads at all it is a each road is a mile wow. by mile grid that goes dead north dead north and south or dead east and west and there's roads every mile so it's quite easy to wow. you know identify like oh did i fill in this spot on the grid did i fill this spot on the grid fantastic 1463 yeah. miles of gravel uh, just in the lancaster county great well that's 100 percent record so far um to great. use a road racing analogy if you don't mind you're in the early move and you've already got a two minute lead there's three or four of you in the break but you've got a two minute lead uh let's see if that lead goes up or goes down. Um, question number two. According to the Koppen climate classification, which as you might know is the well, it's the world standard on climate classifications, reckon it was a German chap called uh, Koppen who, who came up with this uh, several years ago. Um, according to the Koppen climate classification, what climate does Lincoln 
in Nebraska have? Okay, is it A, humid subtropical, B, is it a step climate, C, is it humid continental, or is it D, tropical savanna? I'm gonna say, yeah, I'm gonna guess C. Definitely, I think it's continental. Are you sure? I know it's, I mean, it's humid and hot, but I don't, I wouldn't classify it as any version of tropical. Okay, C is the right answer. Well done, flipping X, straight off. Indeed. Um, basically, I, I looked at all, so humid subtropical, step climate, and tropical, they are all climates that do actually border um, Lincoln, Nebraska as well. They're the closest ones, so they're all very, yeah. very close, but you're quite right. Uh, it is humid continental, so 100%. This is good. This is very, very good. Right, moving on now, halfway through the quiz. If, do you need to, to get a gel or, or a drink? Are you good? <laughs> I am out of coffee, but I can make it to the end of the quiz. You can make it to the end of the quiz. Two more questions. Okay. Right. Okay, this is all right. Because it's been a couple of days. The, I'm, I'm looking at these refreshed. Um, okay, question number three. Lincoln is home to a particularly niche museum, being the national, so the American Museum, of what? So Lincoln is home to a particularly niche museum. Is it the National Museum of what? So is it the National Museum of A, skateboarding, B, the National Museum of roller skating, C, the National Museum of bowling, or D, the National Museum of pinball machines? It's B, because I used to ride past it all the time. It is B, well done. <laughs> oh, I will man. also add oh, that's cool. Nebraska Nebraska doesn't have a lot going for it, but like I feel like Nebraska trivia is something Nebraska people are really proud of, so I'm pretty stoked about this. That's really cool. <laughs> yeah. Have have you been ha, yeah, I mean, of all the things I could have picked out, because there's a, it's a big Wikipedia page. I mean, I was, I was I was on there for a good hour and a half just looking at stuff. Yeah. So uh, yeah, roller so is it a big museum or is it quite small or is is there actually like a role you can actually go in and roller skate or? No, it's a it's a pretty small museum. There are some roller skating rinks in Lincoln, but I don't think the uh, roller skating museum has one. And to be fair, I've never been in, um, but it was the routes I would take through town. One of them that I remember riding pretty regularly was past that museum. Okay. Well, if you do happen to pass by in the future, um, you've got my WhatsApp number now, mate. So can you send me a photo of you outside the roller skating museum just for old time's sake? Absolutely, yeah. Thank yeah. you. That's great. <laughs> well, we're just we're, so currently, um, it's a cross tailwind finish, and you've dropped the other two riders, and you've got a four minute lead heading into the finish now, mate. So you can't screw this up now, okay? So it's a tailwind finish. You're on your own. You're feeling good. Only, it's only question number four standing in your way between a 100% record. And also, you haven't used any of your lifelines. This is quite a phenomenal performance, uh, akin to August the 18th, 2021. So, <laughs> question number four. Right. Ashton, what is the name of the critically endangered beetle endemic to the area just north of Lincoln? Okay, so what is the name of the critically endangered beetle endemic to the area just to the north of Lincoln, Nebraska? Is it A, the Salt Creek Tiger Beetle? Is it B, it's, the Wetland it's that Tiger one. Beetle? We don't even have to go through the rest of them. I know it's the Salt Creek Tiger Beetle. 
It is the Salt Creek Tiger yeah. Beetle. I, I, yeah. um, I put, I've actually put, <laughs> I've, I've made one up. The, the, the Lancaster Beetle and another one I made up was the Nebraskan Brown Beetle, which I thought was a quite a good, a, quite oh, a good name. But well done, the Salt really Creek Tiger Beetle is yeah. correct. Yep. Thanks, man. So, so um, you have got hundred um, percent, and I'm going to give you an extra. 0.01 of a percentage point because you didn't lose any of your, you didn't use a lifeline. So you've actually got 100.01%, which puts you, I think, second in the, the leaderboard. I think Lizzie Banks, a couple of weeks back, oh, uh, managed wow. to get a lot of bonus questions. So she got like 150%. <laughs> so oh I think gosh, you might be wow. number two. Yeah, it, in the all time list of quizzes. Yeah, I mean, I'd, so I take that. Away. So let's have a round of applause from our live studio audience, please. <laughs> Brilliant stuff. Oh. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Oh, that's a really extended. Oh, <laughs> Ashton, take take a bow. Take a bow. Um, yeah. So so, so Niall uh, on Niall's effects board. Um, before you came on, we're doing a bit of a warm up, um, and he had some a little bit of clapping, which did sound like it was. 10 or 12 children with, with giant hands. That one. <laughs> so so I, it feels a little... So now in my mind... That is what it sounds like. Yeah, it's, it's like really kind of... So it's like, he's having too much fun now, is not with the with the soundboard. But no, well done, mate. I hope you enjoyed the quiz. Um, are, are you? Are, do you, I don't. Know, I think we've had a, a lot of American guests on, but I don't think I've ever asked anybody if you if you have things called pub quizzes because in the UK we do. And me and my wife Holly, we love a pub quiz. Haven't been for one for a while because we've been out of the country a lot. But now we're heading into the winter. We will regularly go to quizzes in in, in Derby. Um, so, do you have anything similar in the US? We do. Um, and uh, Chris and I have actually, we went to a brewery the other day in Houston that has, um, it's kind of like a space themed brewery. And so we've, oh, wow. they do Tuesday night quizzes. And so we've been really, really keen to get out there and uh, try one of the quiz nights. Nice one. See, a space, obviously, because of where it is, it's going to be a space theme. So is there, are all the different beers on tap? They've got like, like Jupiter and Mars and like uh, Discovery and stuff like that. Yeah, and they're all like they're kind of named after like sometimes specific niche space thing. Um, okay. So there was like one of them. One of their beers was called uh, Keat Shields are for sissies. <laughs> all right, that's very cool. Yeah, so they it, it's a pretty funny space, a pretty funny spot. Yeah, and it's really good beer, phenomenal beer. I have to check it out. That does sound intriguing because, um, again, when I do travel, um, although I'm more of a Pilsner type of person, I do like, um, I'm, up, I'm up for trying a, generally, the weirder the name of the IPA, I'll give it a go um, rather than, I'll just go, has it got a funny name? Yes. Well, let's give it a go then. Um, again, uh, it's a strange yeah. rule of thumb, but it, it yeah, yeah. It's, um, again, just shows my, my my lack of taste, I guess, really. Because um, are, are you an ale drinker, uh, Ashton? Definitely. I would say the the one thing that this brewery does that I don't love is uh, sours. I've just never been able to get behind sours, but I do like ales uh, just in general. I'm coming around on IPAs. Good stuff. Good stuff. Well, we're going to move on, um, I think, to cycling of a slightly slower speed. And you talked earlier on about your disappointment and your refocus after finding out that the the American team wouldn't get to the Olympics. Um, and so 
and you, you, so you did a, basically a big, a big road trip um, after the, the World Championships, didn't you? Which took you from Scotland down to, to Derby. Uh, of all places. Yeah. And this is something that I honestly didn't know about. Um, and so, but I, I really, because of that ending up in Derby side of it, and also how very, very different, uh, just your approach to something that disappointed you was to just, you know what, I'm going to go and ride and explore back to what, one of the reasons we all love cycling. Um, and this is something that generally every single podcast I've done, we get to the point at, you know, varying points in the pod, we, we ride our bikes because it was fun as kids. And, and but you can do that as an adult, can't you? It, it, mm-hmm. it allows you to to get grounded again and and, and rebalance. And so, that, so just explain the the genesis of that journey and, and how it went, um, because that's exactly what you did, wasn't it? You just decided to go for a very long, rather wet ride in in the in the north part of the UK. It was incredibly wet. Oh my gosh! I'm glad you guys have a uh, heated towel racks over there. That was a real lifesaver. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. you, we're oh not, my we're God. Flipping it, we, we do have we do have modern amenities. We've <clears> also <throat> got hot and cold running water. Um, you know, come on, mate. <laughs> okay, but you do have the hot and cold coming out of separate faucets, and I've never understood that. That is like that is that is absurd. <laughs> just mix them. Just mix them. I just want to, I just want kind of hot water. Um, yeah, but then you know where you yeah. are because if you if you don't mix it, uh, yeah. <laughs> although so, saying that this morning, you, you are quite right because both of our bathroom upstairs and our bedroom has got like two separate taps, and when I'm having a shave, I have to wet my face, but with cold, I, I cup my hands in the cold water, then put a little bit of hot water in, then mix it, and then just, so yeah, you're right, <laughs> it's a little bit of a pain in the ass. Anyway, sorry, carry on. <laughs> Yeah. Um, so the, the Derby trip started um, because I was going down to race with a Hublot bike in Brisbane. So that was, I'm sure, I'm sure you know about those guys. Like they've been on GCN I do. Um, and I started racing with them in 2018, I think. Um, and so, yeah, I would, we were doing, they were, they were planning on doing the the world cup down in Brisbane, maybe like a month after Glasgow, three weeks. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, it was, it was one of those where it was like, okay, I'm going to finish up with, uh, the U S national team in Glasgow. And at first it, you know, Dan was like, Dan Bingham was like, oh, you know, you can get, we'll just get you on a flight from Glasgow to Midlands. And I was like, uh, yeah, like maybe we could make it more fun. Like let's take a train. And then I, it was like, okay. oh, well, maybe I could, you know, ride to the train station and then like ride from, you know, do like a little bit more scenic route. And then I was like, screw that. I'm just going to just ride there. Like I can definitely do that. Um, and my, my parents had come to Glasgow uh, and it was, my dad's a landscaper. And so it was in December, it was like kind of the off season for him. And so he tagged along and uh, yeah, we took a big trip you know, because I was riding all day and then he got to go check out pubs and go see castles and, you know, meet up with me at various <laughs> spots and kind of leapfrog. And uh, yeah, we had an awesome time. And it was like probably between negative one and three degrees the entire time and like rainy and snowy every day. It was probably the coldest I've ever been. And um, because was it your father then that took the photographs? Yeah, yeah. I thought okay. I didn't realise that that because because uh, again, I'm I'm gonna. I mean, it's on Velo News. The if you 
I mean, we'll talk a little bit, little bit more about it now. But if you pl- please head over to Velo News or just search Ashton Lambie Velo News um, Derby, and you'll find this this trip. And you've done a journal; it's a, a lovely one and um, really detailed. But clearly, I mean, I, I do love this. This country is problematic in many ways, but but deep down, I, I love it. And it's landscapes. There's, there's nothing like it. it. It is it is green. It's beautiful. It's wet, um, but. Um, you can really escape properly. There are, you know, we. There are some absolutely stunning places, and and um, I, I do like occasionally to get to be completely isolated and just at one with even the rain. It's and and I guess these were completely new landscapes for you, weren't they? Yeah, um, yeah. It was it was some of the most beautiful writing I've I've done. Uh, it was phenomenal. I went. We did when I, when we were in Glasgow. I did ride with Chris to Edinburgh and we met both of our families there and that was a super fun trip. But then like, yeah, diving in and doing it for a whole five days was, or four days, however long it was to get down to Derby. Like it was, it was gorgeous. Yeah. What was your, um, what was the place that struck you the most? Um, was, was there a particular part of, of your journey that you think, yeah, I'd like to, or maybe revisit for example? Oh. I mean, I feel like Honestly, the riding in Scotland, uh, I don't remember like exactly the part, but I remember coming over some mountain passes and it was just like this beautiful rugged landscape and it was kind of snowy. Um, but man, that was that was a really incredible and just these these huge vistas um, of just constantly rolling hills that you could see before it got, I would say, a little bit more like dense forest down towards Derby and Midlands. Yeah. Yeah, that's one thing about Scotland. It is very sparsely populated and uh, a lot of it is unspoiled. And if, if you think when people do the land, I think something you would love is land in John O'Groats. Um, you start down in Cornwall, the furthest tip oh. of the UK, and then you head up to, do you know, I, I reckon, do you know what? We should we should do that. I could just sit on your wheel, you know. I would um, love to do that. That's, I, that's been on my bucket list for, for years. I would love to do that. I mean, I'm... I'd love to. I'm 52 now, Ashton, and I've obviously lived here all my life. And I, I'm super busy, and it's something I still would love to do. Um, but like, maybe not as something to break any records, just to ride it reasonably briskly, but just enjoy it. That's the, that's what I'd like to do. Yeah. Um, because it is, it's 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 very very special. You know, I'd. I'd we, we, do you know what? We should we should have a conversation um, about that. You know. Um, I would be down. That sounds awesome. Yeah, yeah, we should. Yeah, the document because we could stop at pubs, take photos, do some slow bits, do some fast bits, and because um, it my it the first part of the journey passes through the county of Cornwall, where my father's from, and that's where. Although I was brought up in London, I spent a lot of time as a youth down in Cornwall. Um, and again, if you ever do visit the UK, just lands in John O'Groats aside, if you want to see another magical part, it, the, the land of King mm-hmm. Arthur, Arthurian legend, basically. Um, it is one of my favourite places in the world to ride is Cornwall, mate. So, uh, yeah, mm-hmm. next time you're in England, we should sort something out, but I'll, I'll show you around Cornwall as well. But absolutely, absolutely gorgeous. And, and and the purpose of you riding that, just to get back to you deciding to do it, did did you, <clears throat> obviously the disappointment of your of, of the team not, not, not getting to Olympics, did it help ameliorate that a little bit? Or or did, did you, once you'd finished the trip, did you, were you settled or did that still stick in your throat a little bit? I mean, it definitely helped um, just to kind of distance, distance myself and, you know, take some time to, 
to work through that and process all that um just you know literal years of of dedication and uh trying to make that happen and then yeah it was it was tough because it was it was kind of one of those where we knew it was going to happen um you could kind of see it off yeah. in the distance where it was like oh you know when we showed up to minsk which was the week before glasgow it was like oh, okay we need to we need to beat switzerland by this many places and it didn't happen and then it was like well we still have like we're here we're gonna go line up at glasgow next week and then it was like you line up at a race in glasgow and it's like oh you if it, like it was some convoluted system it was like if two teams crashed and we shaved eight seconds off and got a podium wow okay. then it's like then we could still be in the running and it's like that's not going to happen but you still have to you know you still have to start and you know put it all out there and then yeah i mean even when you know it's coming to get that that disappointment was it was tough um and i know yeah. you know i i was disappointed the rest of the team was disappointed like it's hard it's hard to not you know wonder wonder what you could have done more and like um yeah so i mean taking the time to work through that was like that was pretty huge um and it was good to get back to the roots of like oh this is you know there there's parts of cycling that that work or don't work and um our successes or disappointments but getting back to that like you know going out for long days and exploring this beautiful countryside of and pretty like loose and fast you know of of well you know i'm i'm out for a ride and oh i rode past this uh this bakery like i'm gonna stop and get a sausage roll like yeah <laughs> you know unstructured riding and adventuring like that is huge and i love sausage rolls so yeah <laughs> that was always a nice little bit of morale if you're riding and it's like cold and rainy and you stop at a little bakery for a nice hot sausage roll like man that that's pretty good was was the first time you ever had a sausage roll on that trip? Were they were they new to you? Because they don't they don't really do sausage rolls in America. They do. I mean, a lot lot of other brilliant stuff. But I don't think I'm aware of sausage rolls in America. They aren't a big thing in America. I did. They're actually kind of a thing in Texas. They call them kolaches. Um, okay. Which is I think a Polish. Uh, someone will correct me on this, but I think a Polish pastry, yeah. Danish maybe. Um, right. But in Texas, they do savory kolaches. So it's a little bit different pastry. But I'd had sausage okay. rolls um, when I was over racing with Who Bought Bike the first time in 2018. And Johnny Whale okay. gave me a really hard time about stopping for sausage. Like, I'd stop at cafes pretty regularly because <laughs> there's like cute little cafes everywhere and it's awesome. Like, I'm going to stop. That's it. Yeah, why not, man? I mean, I'm a, I'm a big fan of stopping. Back, back in the day, we're talking way back in the 19, 1980s. I mean, we did some really long rides, but the, the, one of the things that was the most fun was stopping at a cafe for a pot of tea uh, and some and some cakes with mates. And that's where you, that's the whole, well, the whole social aspect of cycling. You know, cafe rides are something that I absolutely love and I, I'm never going to stop them. Some guys don't like stopping, which is fine. But for me, I don't know. You might, I don't know, some people think like, it impinges on the endurance side of it, but I got by a whole career by doing regular cafe stops, still did the discipline stuff, but um, yeah, you, I, I ride to smile, you know? It's, uh, yeah, and, um, yeah, I think that's important. Yeah, enormously. And so cook breakfast. So how many cook breakfasts did you have on route then? Did you, when was your first, yeah, uh, did you do that regularly? Because they're quite big, mate. They're hugely calorific. But actually, if you have a big one and then just go ride straight off the bat, it can be quite problematic. You need to have a little sleep. 
Oh, I, f- I feel like I can ride pretty well after like a, f- a regular English breakfast. Um, again, like I normally eat, I would say fairly heavy foods normally. Um, I mean, I think having a sausage roll in the middle of a ride is a pretty heavy food. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, man, I remember the hotel we stayed at in Glasgow for the World Cup had probably the the best breakfast that I've I've ever had at, at like race trips, race hotels uh, normally have pretty, pretty meager food. But this hotel was just like phenomenal breakfast, you know, uh, haggis, black pudding, white pudding. Um, oh, you know, steel cut oatmeal, eggs, uh, tatty scones, like everything baked beans. It was, it was phenomenal. And I mean, I had a good few of those breakfasts there. Uh, sometimes I'll even find like a, a English pub here in the U S and they'll have like a, an English breakfast that you can get. And I'll get that any time of the day. I love it. That's, that's cool. I'm just looking, I'm, I'm just thinking, you know, talking about all the, that you clearly have an affinity um, with, with things in England and Scotland or UK. And I'm, I'm just looking at your picture now. It's the one on, on, on Wikipedia. And your, your lovely smile with your with your your moustache, you look like you could have been um, Scottish. Actually, um, you know, I think you look like you could ride the Commonwealth Games for Scotland. Just look at that picture, man. You definitely have some UK, some UK in you somewhere, mate. I think we do have Lambie <laughs> is a little bit of Scottish heritage from a like Lamont clan or like Lamont family. Oh right, okay. Yeah. I didn't know yeah. that. There yeah. definitely is. There's something in there, mate. There's something in there, mate. Look, Ashton, it's been it's been lovely. Um, but oh, hold on a minute. We've got. Oh no. Random question oh, alert. Mate. Random question <laughs> Sorry. Random question oh. alert. Oh my god. It is time really. for a random question. <laughs> really, really sorry. I don't know if you've listened to the podcast before, but um, again, one of my contractual obligations with Sigma Sports is that they installed a. Uh, it was a mid-60s supercomputer into my office, uh, and every now and again, generally during a podcast, it it fires out uh, a fax, and I've just, just torn off a piece of paper with a random question, which I've never seen before, and and as a as a guest, uh, if you don't mind, uh, you're, well, you're kind of obliged to answer it. Um, okay, here's the question from the random question generator to, to wrap things up. Um, Ashton, would you rather have the ability to see in the dark... Or breathe underwater. I'd rather have the ability to see in the dark or breathe underwater. Mm. Man. Um, mm. I think breathing underwater. Uh, I think seeing yeah. in the dark could be useful. I feel like the biggest problem I think about riding in the dark and like doing things in the dark and the biggest problem that seeing in the dark doesn't solve is that no one else can see you. So like, if I'm like, oh, I can see in the dark. Well, I'm gonna go for a bike ride with no lights. And then I get run over like immediately because I can see that no one else can see <laughs> I me. I didn't mean to lie. <laughs> That's a really, really good uh, way of, of, of uh, yeah, of explaining your rationale there. Uh, but breathing underwater, man, you could do a lot of stuff if you could breathe underwater. I know. That'd be a pretty cool uh, ability, man. Yeah, t- uh, totally. Because you wouldn't. Yeah, I mean, y- you'd be like Aquaman, wouldn't you? And you could go yeah. super. Di- I don't know about how deep you. I don't. Know, it doesn't actually explain about how deep you could go. But let's say you could go, you know, quite a few meters down. Uh, it'd be amazing. Yeah. 
it, that actually, yeah. yeah. Uh, I I wonder if as part of this you 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 could breathe in the, the breathe the water in and your lungs would process it, or that you suddenly sprouted some gills. I'm not too sure, um, but breathing underwater would be absolutely amazing. That's the one I'd go for as well, mate. Uh, yeah, agreed. But uh, wow, great, good stuff. Great random question. <laughs> Yeah, it was a very, very random. I never know. I've never seen that question before. As I say, uh, the machine, thank goodness, has switched itself off now. But just briefly, um, from a cycling perspective, Ashton, before we wrap things up, and, and thank you for your patience. I know we've had a, a rather staccato start to our conversation, so thank you for bearing with us. But just to wrap things up, um, I know there's one or two things you can't talk about, which is absolutely fine, but I'm, I, I wait with bated breath for next year. But from a cycling perspective, what 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 are your next set of objectives, mate? Man, I mean, I feel like it's been a pretty big year with the the start of the Lifetime Grand Prix series and doing that entire uh, series and program and everything. Um, and so now it's kind of just like refocusing, uh, you know, getting a little bit more settled in Houston and uh, yeah, just get get back into to training a little bit, um, getting all my bikes repaired and fixed up. I feel like it's pretty easy towards the end of the season to get everything into a little bit of a state of disrepair. And so yeah, just kind of, yeah, recollect and refocus and uh, get ready for uh, the season next year. Great stuff. Well, Ashton, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks again for being with us. Thanks, thanks for being yeah. such a, a good sport. And um, and best of luck next year. I know you've got some interesting things that you'll be talking about soon, but um, I think it, whatever, you, you, it's going to be a success because you, you're, you're somebody that just has, as well as a remarkable physiological ability, you, you're, 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 you're a personality that inspires me. I, I really think you do that. You're a unique proposition and, and you radiate happiness as well, mate. So Thanks, man. I appreciate that. You know, you do. Uh, you're, you're, and I just wish you all the very best. Um, and thanks again, mate. Yeah, thanks. I'm looking forward to uh, Land's End, John and Groats next year. Well, isn't Ashton just, well, the nicest guy in cycling? I really enjoyed our chat and I hope he has a wonderful 2023 with lots of exciting adventures along the way. Plus, wouldn't it be absolutely awesome to ride Land's End to John and Groats with him? Let us know what you think. Thanks to Perry App Gwyneth for the podcast theme tune and thanks to you for listening. Don't forget to like, follow and rate the pod and maybe give that a little review if you feel like it. And why not recommend it to anyone who might be taking a test flight in a two-person jet aircraft to train for high-stress, fast-reaction emergency scenarios. Or if you don't know any of them, maybe just recommend it to your dentist or your plumber. Now, if you want to get in touch with the podcast, please do. Our email address is as follows, podcast at sigmasports.com. Or you can leave a message or a voice note on our WhatsApp number burner phone. The number is as follows, plus 44-777-832-3268. And finally, a massive thanks again to Ashton for joining us on the podcast today. Best of luck to him and Christine in the coming months as they settle into their new home. Cheers all, stay safe and goodbye.